Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, October 27th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, lawmakers hear from experts regarding the gap in early childhood preventive care. Then the lieutenant governor shares more about what could be ahead this legislative session and what a leading pediatrician says about the latest wave of RSV cases. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Pediatric experts in Mississippi say the state lags behind the nation in providing early childhood health care screenings. That allows children with chronic illnesses to go undiagnosed for years. At a Senate committee hearing yesterday on women, children, and families, Dr. Susan Buttress of Mississippi Thrive told lawmakers only a fraction of qualifying children are able to receive this care. She shares more with our Kobe Vance. We just need more early intervention services for our young children. We know that the brain is rapidly growing in those first three years of life, and it's so very important to to intervene as soon as you can if you see that there's a problem because we know that our children's little brains, because they're rapidly growing, we can make a difference very quickly, much more easily than waiting until a child's in the second or third grade to discover a problem. So that's one of the issues. When you say early childhood intervention, can you help, what does that mean for parents? Um, How can they get their child involved to make sure that they have those opportunities to catch something early on? So the very first thing we know we need to do for parents is to mark developmental milestones, to know what their child should be doing, understand what they should be doing, and then if they're not talking when the parent thinks they should or um, able to hold a crayon or something like that, then they need to ask their pediatrician, their primary care provider, uh, to do a developmental screening on their child. And and it's a simple tool parents can access online. There are areas that they can go check. We have a website. It's mississippithrive.com that 
has lots of information about early child development. But what parents need to do is just arm themselves with information, understand that if their child has a problem, then they need to let someone know. Typically that should be their, quote, medical home. That's their provider who takes care of their wellness needs and their sick needs. What we're talking about today, though, is that there are services called early intervention services through the health department that should be available to children birth to three when there are developmental needs. What we found is in our state there are not enough services, there are not enough service providers, and there's not enough money that's going into the state. I am very heartened um, that we are having these hearings that are led by Senator Boyd and that that are allowing us to put these difficulties out there and to talk about ways to solve these problems. What would you like to see in the future for Mississippi, um, especially having these conversations today? What are, your, what are you asking for and hoping to see? And then in turn, how could that benefit children in Mississippi? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> there's so much. Um, but there there a few things that that we really need to do immediately and that is to increase the amount of money that's put into early intervention services to relook at the system and see where we need to make some changes because we know changes need to happen. We need to train more providers and then we need to pay those providers appropriately and make it easier for them to stay in Mississippi. We continue to lose those early intervention, well-trained providers to other areas of the country because the pay's better. Um, they don't struggle to make a living, which is what we found is happening in our state. We need to do a better job about discovering children who have developmental issues, and we really need to serve more children, not wait until the delays are serious, but when they have mild delays, intervene early so that they'll be healthy and ready to learn by the time they enter, enter kindergarten. Dr. Susan Buttress, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Yesterday's hearing was the fourth by the group led by Republican Senator Nicole Boyd of Oxford. She says the topics brought up during the ongoing series of hearings will help with priorities for the upcoming legislative session. Well, I have to tell you, um, I I had great um, pause today um, when the numbers were given me um, 1,592. Um, if you look at averages across the country and what we should be at, um, and some of this, those other states are not doing what they should be doing either, but just with those numbers, we should be serving over 4,000 children. Data was presented today to show that um, realistically we're looking upwards of 10,000, and we're serving 1,592. That's not acceptable. The data was also produced today to show that the most um, the most cost-effective dollars that you can um, do, um, we had international studies that were presented, is to invest in early intervention. 
the yields on investing in early intervention are substantial. And we know that we've got to do a much, much better job in the state. Um, so, so programs and ideals were presented today on how that we change the structure of things so that we are producing um, much better numbers. And we know that, and I know, that those numbers um, impact people. I was um, a mother, I still am a mother of a special needs child, and I know what those early intervention services meant to my family. It didn't just impact my child, which it did substantially, um, but it also impacted our entire family. So those numbers meant something to me today. And what meant more to me and was sadder to me is the amount of children that were missing in those numbers. So I know what that early intervention did for my child. I know the health care savings because we did intensive early intervention. I know the resources that he has to have, the supports he has to have are substantially less. And his quality of life is dramatically better. That's something that we need to make sure that we do for families in Mississippi. It has an impact on our workforce because but for those early intervention services, but for those intention workforces, he would not be able to be in the workforce um, eventually. And so we know these things have numbers. And so that's been kind of the um, theme throughout of all these hearings is the economic impact of us not providing everything from appropriate care after the mother has a child to um, early intervention is substantial. And so to spend these dollars efficaciously, we've got to invest in those preventative programs. That's Senate Study Group Chairman Nicole Boyd. Coming up, the lieutenant governor shares more about how the hearings may inform policymaking this upcoming session. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-THE-NUMBER-4-CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The Senate Study Committee on Women, Children, and Families was assembled this summer by Lieutenant Governor Delbert Holzman. He wanted the state's policies to reflect the rhetoric that followed the U.S. Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. With those hearings concluded, Holzman shares what he thinks may come out of their work. I anticipate legislation coming out of that that will address um, uh, for example, the adoption procedure, I think, is way too uh, complicated, and uh, we've met with judges on how to streamline that where we can get our kids adopted and in a safe environment. Uh, I expect you'll see uh, compensation for parents that are keeping adopted children. I think you'll see some expansion of places in which we can keep children that are being trafficked, for example, in a safe place until such time as we can either get them reunited with their at their home, hopefully, or... Uh, in a safe place for them to live and, and prosper. Uh, I, I think you'll see a lot of legislation coming out of Senator Boyd's committee, and we're, we're really excited about uh, the hearings, and they're all archived. You can look at them on TV. 
uh, through the Senate archives. But uh, I'm very I'm very pleased with what they're doing, and I'm, I think it will mean a significant legislation coming out of Mississippi on on leading on how you can be pro-life and pro-child. There hasn't been support, majority support, for expanding Medicaid or something close to that to ensure that folks, people who work, have access to health care. Do you think there's going to be an opening to deal with that now that this issue is on the table? Uh, we passed postpartum, as you know, last year. The Senate did, I think, on three different occasions. That's for two uh, months. No, and ma'am. You wanted it for twelve. That's correct. We wanted to extend postpartum coverage for women and babies. The babies, of course, are covered in, in, in any event. And this is for working mothers. Obviously, if you're if you have no compensation, you're covered by by the Medicaid anyway. But these are moms that may be making. $3,000 a month gross, and uh, even if they have private health insurance, affordable care, their deductible is like $5,000. So it, it ends up being a real barrier to them having uh, good planning for themselves, of course, obviously, and, and but also for their children. I expect postpartum will come back again this year. Uh, I'm going to leave up to Senator Boyd and her committee about other steps that might be coming, coming out for us, but... Um, uh, we we have significant hospital problems. We may lose one before the end of the year. We may lose as many as two or three or four others by July 1st of next year. Uh, their losses were really significant. I, they were uh, told to me that they lost about $600 million last, so far this last year, and that's not sustainable. Our, our cost and our nursing cost and our cost of overhead and er- everything that they do has accelerated and their reimbursements have not. So I, th- I think we're going to have to address exactly how we're going uh, to handle health care, n- not only for moms, I think, but for hospitals and everybody that uses them. Would you support expansion of well, some Well, I don't think that's, I think that's really a bad thought. Uh, and the reason is, when you think about this, um, uh, talking about uh, some kind of expansion, you're talking about really about 5% revenue here. Um, and the pub, full public health uh, scenarios like in England have not worked. Uh, people don't want to wait a year for something to be available to them. Uh, and then 40%, I think, of English now have private insurance. So this this uh, this move towards just a total public health system, or whatever you want to call it, it has not worked other places. And I don't think our people... Uh, will put up with that. I think they're going to want an immediacy of health care, and I think they're going to want quality health care. And so I, I don't see that uh, as the long-term answer for, for health in, in Mississippi. I expect we're going to have to start with um, what the expense side is of that, which is how our hospitals are even going to survive. And and then you work back into how you reimburse. I don't think you start by just throwing more money into something and think that's going to fix uh, the systemic problems we have with the delivery of health care. So I, I don't think that's a real smart way to go about it. Right now we're in the midst of a major embezzlement scandal involving temporary aid to needy families, TANF, mm-hmm. $77 million over several years um, stolen. Your thoughts on how this could happen and what needs to be done to prevent it from occurring again? 
Well, um, we've had certain a, a number of people plead guilty to misusing funds. That law was in effect a long time, Desiree. I mean, it's illegal to misuse uh, federal tenant funds. I don't expect there's going to be any change in legislation. If you're going to do something illegal, I don't. I don't know. You're not going to make it more illegal. Is there anything that can be done on the legislative well, level? Well, there's no necessary. It's not necessary for us to address anything. What they did was illegal. They pled to being illegal, and I assume they're going to uh, suffer the consequences of that. I can't make it more illegal than being illegal. So I, I just don't see where there's a lot of need for that. Uh, the uh, actual federal dollars, these are all federal investigations and whatnot that are ongoing. Those federal dollars have very specific things you're supposed to do and not do with them. Those were apparently violated, admittedly violated by some of these defendants. So they're they're going to suffer the consequences for that. But I, I don't know that you need to do more or less. Uh, you know, it's like adding on uh, another crime to the crime we've, we've already committed. So I don't, I don't see a lot of that. That's Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman in part two of the conversation tomorrow. I'm really hopeful that you'll see legislation this year to reward schools that go that way. And if you don't want to, that's fine. Uh, I just don't want it to be an economic decision. I want it to be an education decision for the child. We talk about the momentum behind the modified school calendar. Coming up, what a leading pediatrician says about the latest wave of RSV cases. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Respiratory illnesses have increased in the state, causing breathing problems for young children. Pediatricians are concerned the cold and flu season threatens to hurt those with weakened immune systems. Dr. Anita Henderson is president of the Mississippi chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics. She tells our Rhonda Dunaway providers are concerned that RSV could be part of a winter triple threat. So this year we started seeing RSV earlier than we had in past years. In fact, here in Mississippi, we really started seeing RSV cases in July and August, and that has continued and ramped up so that here we are in October with a combination of RSV, and we're seeing significant cases of influenza along with COVID. So over the last two years, you know, people were more vigilant about keeping kids home when they were sick, They were a little more mindful of um, hand washing and hygiene and um, avoiding lots of extra activities. So I think that now we are just seeing this respiratory virus um, create very high cases earlier than we normally see. And so we're kind of seeing a combination of flu and RSV right now, which is putting a strain on hospitals and clinics. In our hospitals, we have a number of children 
with RSV. We continue to see patients in the clinic on a daily basis, babies, um, infants, toddlers who are testing positive for RSV. But what we really are also seeing now, as I mentioned, is flu. Um, in fact, yesterday my clinic had an over 50% positivity rate on influenza. And so last year and the year before, we had been concerned about a twindemic of flu and COVID. But really what we're kind of seeing now is a triple-demic of flu, COVID, and RSV, something that we haven't seen in quite some time. RSV is very contagious, uh, just like flu and COVID are. So when any, any children are around each other, and if it starts circulating within a school or daycare, um, we then just see lots and lots of children who come in and test positive. Is there a treatment for RSV, like a, mm-hmm. like a vaccine, like for flu and COVID? Mm-hmm. Is there any type of treatment for it? At this point, there is no vaccine for RSV. Those are being tested, and particularly for um, pregnant women, which would help protect their young infants. What we do recommend um, as far as RSV goes is a medicine called um, palavizumab, which is known by the name Synergist. It is a monthly treatment that is recommended for premature babies, babies that are born at less than or equal to 28 weeks. And so if you have a premature baby or a baby that has chronic lung disease or a baby that may be on oxygen or any sort of respiratory uh, dependent um, ventilator, et cetera, those children, babies need monthly synergists. And because we saw that increase starting this summer, we um, worked with our Department of Medicaid so that Synergis is being covered for those children. Families who have premature babies do need to be in contact with their pediatrician to make sure that if their child qualifies for Synergis, they are getting that on a monthly basis to help prevent RSV. Other than that preventive Um, measure for premature babies, there is not a specific treatment for RSV. Babies who end up um, needing to be put in the hospital for RSV or babies who are having shortness of breath, if they need oxygen, if they are having difficulty breathing to the point where they are not staying hydrated, they are getting dehydrated, those are some of the indications for hospitalization. Again, most of the children and young um, babies and toddlers who get RSV have colds, coughs, and fevers, but a small percentage end up needing hospitalization. So we certainly recommend if you have an infant or a young child that you think has RSV, that is wheezing, having shortness of breath, difficulty um, feeding, those children definitely need to be evaluated. So it sounds like RSV might be making, you know, it's possible that it could be making um, some kids who are more vulnerable to flu and COVID. So is it suggested for these kids to, or for certain uh, vulnerable kids to come in and get a flu and COVID shot or vaccine or booster, or is that recommended to take together? How does that work? We recommend every child that is six months and up get a yearly flu shot. We also recommend every child six months and up get vaccinated against COVID. If your child is five years or older, they are also eligible for the updated 
COVID booster shots. So what we as pediatricians recommend is vaccinating children against the diseases for which we have an available vaccine. So that would be flu and COVID. At this point, we don't have a vaccine for RSV, so we have to try our best to prevent it. Um, and by vaccinating against those other diseases, you'll be protecting your child. Now, if you have a young baby, if you have an infant, if you have a newborn, at this time with so many circulating respiratory viruses, we recommend that you try to keep your child home. Avoid group gatherings, avoid um, going out in public unnecessarily in particular, particularly if you have babies. Um, because again, RSV in adults may present like a cold or runny nose, but in a baby, it can cause significant disease. So in the wintertime, we always recommend that people just don't kiss the baby. Well, Dr. Anita uh, Henderson with the Hattiesburg Clinic, thank you so much for taking out time and talking to us today about RSV and other illnesses that we're going to be dealing with this winter. Thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.